Hi everybody, my name's Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. Love being with you. Grab your message notes if you don't have them. They're in the back. And let me just start by confessing something. Uh, I have a love-hate relationship with my iPhone. Um, I love the versatility. I love how I have my own personal assistant in here named Siri. And I can change his or her voice throughout. Uh, Right now, she's a British woman in honor of Ian Pitta. I have uh, my Siri speaks to me with a British accent. Um, I love that. Uh, But about a year ago, I have a six. Uh, my iPhone started like draining. It, it, it would like deplete so fast. Did, does anyone else have this issue problem? Okay, yeah. So um, like after an hour, it was down to 60%. Um, and I'm like, what in the world? How is this happening? So I went to the iPhone store and said, something's wrong with my Siri. And she's uh, four, I'll call her she, okay? My iPhone is four years old and I have a theory. It's like double dog years, okay? So it's like she's 60 year old and she's just... <laughs> No offense, but she's just lagging, going slower, and doesn't work as quick. She's not so sharp, you know, and drains. And, and so I said, what can you do? And they said, buy a new iPhone. <laughs> that wasn't an option for me. And I'm like, what do I do? And they said, well, they have this thing called low power mode. And they went through everything, turning off. I am way beyond my pay grade at this point. But uh, I went into low power mode, and they said, but just be warned, some things won't work on low power mode, but you'll save your battery. So I went to the website, and here's how it defines low power mode. It says, when your phone is on low power mode, some features will take longer to complete, and some tasks might not work at all. Has anyone ever felt like that, right? (laughs) What I realized is my iPhone is just discouraged. It wasn't created for this world. It was created for a world four years ago. It wasn't created for iOS 12.0 whatever. It wasn't created for all the apps. I have some of them that I have loaded on there. It wasn't created for 5G and to run at that. And running at a, in a world that wasn't created for is draining, is discouraging. Um, I'm not here to talk about discouraged iPhones. <laughs> actually here to talk about something way more serious, discouraged people. More importantly, I'm here to talk about discouraged followers of Jesus. And discouragement is universal. So if you don't identify as a follower of Jesus, and by the way, thank you for taking a risk and being here. You don't have to believe to belong. We say around here, belong first. If you're checking out who Jesus is, see what the Christian life and communities, the Jesus community is all about. Um, but you're going to see how Jesus is very real speaking into the area of discouragement. When life you know, is lived like the week we've had, and there's tons of circumstances beyond our control, in a culture that doesn't always feel like we're at home, what does Jesus say to that? What difference does Jesus make in that world? And discouragement is really, really real. It's actually, relationally, it's dangerous. I can't find anything in the relational world uh, that has been destroyed where discouragement wasn't the underlying cause or the inciting event. Uh, I was a youth pastor for 17 years, never had a student come up to me saying, I'm so encouraged with my school, I'm flunking out. (laughs) 
Uh, I never, ever had anyone come up to me saying, this will be my last Sunday at PCC. We're so encouraged by this place, we're going to another church. Uh, never has anyone come up to me saying, I am so encouraged by what my faith means to me. Jesus is so real. I'm going to start taking drugs. Never had a couple say to me, we are so encouraged in our relationship, we're splitting up. Discouragement is dangerous. Uh, there's a woman blogger, her name is Jen Thorne, and she has a great post that she calls The Dangers of Discouragement. Look on the screen. She lists, if this isn't addressed, this is where discouragement leads. She says it leads to doubt and unbelief. Doubt storms come on you like firestorms hit our state. It leads to selfish living. When we're discouraged, we turn inward and we think about ourselves to the detriment of other people. We're not generative at that point. It's all about us. Discouragement lowers our guard with temptation. There's a susceptibility that we have that we don't usually have when we're encouraged. In so many areas, discouragement heightens our irritability and anger. And then she says, discouragement actually is contagious. It leaks, and no one wants to be around a discouraging person. It leads to becoming a discourager. You need to know this letter that we're going to look at today, it was written to a church that was super discouraged. Uh, out of all the seven letters, uh, this was a church that was having it the hardest. And what's interesting, Jesus comes to them and doesn't say anything corrective uh, in all the other six letters to the churches, Jesus goes, uh, with the exception of one, here's what you're doing great. The church we looked at last week, he had nothing good to say about them. Uh, but then he says, and here's what needs to be corrected. With this church, he had no corrective. In other words, you ready? In heaven's eyes, they were doing everything right. And they were super discouraged. What does Jesus tangibly do say what difference does he tangibly make when we're in seasons of discouragement it is part of the human condition question is what do you do with it and what's the way out let's read revelation chapter three by the way let me ask this question just before we go to three what discourages you this is rhetorical but i want you to identify what discourages or what is discouraging you right now just sitting at and hold on to it for the whole message. I'll give you 30, 20 seconds to think that through. What's discouraging you? Here we go, verse seven. Hold on to it. Here we go. Revelation 3.7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write this. Okay, so Philadelphia. Map will come up. Real city in uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, just some facts you can see on page one. I'm not going to take a lot of time on the facts. You can read it for yourself. Uh, but this is the original Philadelphia in Greek, city of brotherly love. We have a city on the East Coast named after it. We're not talking about that Philadelphia. Uh, we're talking about a different one. Uh, what I really want you to hear, though, and you can read all the things, all the facts, but Philadelphia was in a, a seismic region that had frequent earthquakes due to its volcanic activity. Uh, 80 years before this letter was written, the city was leveled, completely leveled and decimated by an earthquake, uh, and then was rebuilt. Now, how many of you lived in, uh, around here during Loma Prieta? 
89. Yeah, look at all these hands. Do you remember what it was like driving under overpasses after Loma Prieta? Remember the anxiety that we had? Uh, it was terrible. So you can imagine in this, in this day, living in addition to the cultural pressure that discouraged them, feeling out of place as followers of Jesus amidst a pluralistic, crazy culture, uh, they had to deal with a city that had been leveled so much so that when they rebuilt the city, the majority of the city didn't live within its walls. They were too scared. They lived out in tents and would come into the city to do their commerce and trade. So there's that, that layer of anxiety and discouragement over that. So what does Jesus say to them? He comes to them with a key phrase uh, that he says is actually key in the whole book. Uh, the NIV calls it see, you'll see it in this letter, S-E-E, but the word is behold. It's used 26 times in this book. As a matter of fact, um, this is a key word to the book. If you reduce revelation down to one word, it's that word behold. What it means is, I'm going to show you something you were previously blind to. Uh, it, we talked about this the first week. It's Jesus taking that thin layer between eternity and time, peeling it back and say, I know you're experiencing this, but look what's going on in the real world, in the unseen world, in the spirit world. This letter was written to a church who was barely treading water. And Jesus comes to them and says, I am so proud of you. Look, you are so alive. Look what's happening in the unseen world. How many of you know sometimes the kingdom of God advances not through uh, the easy stuff and the elative stuff, but through pain, through the hard, through the continual holding of something that's chronic? And God says, that's exactly what I'm going to use. We'll see a case study of that with John the Baptist later on in our time together. A lot of us, if we were to script our lives, we wouldn't script our life with pain, with breakups, relational pain, chronic pain, emotional pain, physical pain. Who would script a firestorm or a mass shooting in the world? This is not the world God created. This is the world humans have ruined through our rebellion but God's remaking it through people like us. And that's what we're gonna see in this letter. And so God says to this church that's super discouraged, I wanna show you a different view and I think you'll be encouraged by it. So let's turn to page two and let's look at what he reveals to them, what they see that they didn't see previously. Here we go. First thing he does, by the way, I told you this, but when I went to the iPhone store, they said, no, 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 there's no hope. Like, you have to replace your phone, okay? And so God says to us, my hope for you is also a replacement. Uh, I want to give you a new perspective and show you, replace what you see with the human eye with spiritual insight that you have to take by faith. That's living. Here we go. The first replacement is I'll replace closed doors with heavenly opportunities, he says in verse seven, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true. That word true is really important, especially for us today. The word means trustworthy. He's worthy of our trust. He's real. He never changes. In a city that quaked, where walls crumbled, Jesus said, I'm the real deal. I am sure than the ground under your feet. You can trust me. 
and he holds the keys of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. Now here comes the word, see, see it there? In other words, behold, he goes, I'm gonna show you something that you're blind to. And the response of what we behold is a response of a little kid when they see something that marvels them. He says, look at this. Here's an open door. All you see is closed doors in your life. But look at this. I'm opening a door. What in the world does that mean? Don't we love it uh, when life seems confining and then suddenly we find the escape route in the best way possible? Last night, my family and I, actually, we're just three of us. We don't know what to do with one child in the house. Our 16-year-old's visiting our 22-year-old in Kentucky, so it's just JoJo. And so I told my wife, I'm like, I gotta have some fun. And so we went to go see the Nutcracker uh, movie, okay? And it's a Disney movie, and to a 10-year-old, it is magic. I would highly recommend this movie. PG, it's just clean, it's nice. And, and so we're there watching, and um, it's a takeoff. I thought it was the Nutcracker. It's a spinoff of the Nutcracker. And it's very Narnia-esque. There's a, a portal to another world that, that Clara goes into and she has to save the world. It's really, I won't give it away, it's really cool. Well, there's a point where Clara and the prince are confined in a prison and it looks like that, that special world is gonna be doomed and the evil woman's gonna win. And you know, you're just going, ah, oh, this can't happen. At least my daughter, my ten, I know these things, but my 10 year old's like, no, no daddy. And then they find an open door. And she climbs out and Little Mouse leads her to help save the day. I just gave away the movie. <laughs> Sorry. But it's that sense, when Clara saw the open door and the Little Mouse leading her, that's the sense that Jesus has here to this church. There's something open that you weren't aware of. You're not confined. So what is open door? I did what you could do. I just went to the YouVersion app uh, on, on the internet, and I put the words open and door and said, show me every place in the New Testament those two words are used together. And let's learn what an open door is. I'm gonna ask you for some answers. You give me answers for once, okay? You ready? Here we go. Not that I always give you answers, but let's just talk together. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, look what it says. A great door for effective work has opened for me, and yet there are many who oppose me. So what we learn there is even though a door might be opened by the Lord, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. That open door meant opposition. 2 Corinthians 2.12, now I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ. I found the Lord had opened the door for me. Wow, what we find there is these aren't human open doors. These are spiritually open doors. Colossians 4.3, these are the only three places outside of Revelation open and door are together. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chain. That so that could be an equal sign showing us what an open door is. So let me ask you. You've read the verses like I have. Just talk, let's talk to each other. What is open door when you look at all of Scripture together? What do you see? Opportunity. A way forward. Pardon me? Freedom. Access. New souls, an open door into someone's heart that might be far from God or people's hearts that are far from God. All that is true. God is saying, you know what, church? 
You think the struggle is real, and it is. And you think, and we see there's synagogues closing their doors to them and other things closing their doors. God says, no, no, no. I'm actually opening doors that you're blind to, and I'm so encouraged. We do this thing around here called bless, and our whole back information center is lined with these. And bless is an acronym. This is our goal in the city. We want to be people who bless others. Okay, people blessing. Begin with prayer. Listen with care, eat together, serve with love, share your story. And what we're endeavoring to do, each one of us, is just write the names of people where we work, where we play, where we recreate, where we live, that we would be people of blessing. And, and like this morning, I just, in my mind's eye as I'm praying, I just go around my neighborhood and I told the Lord, like 90,000 people, I can't do 90,000 people in Redwood City. I can't even do Grand Street. So I'll do the 100 block of Grand Street. And the Holtz will do the 200. They got the cool block of Grand Street. They'll do the 200 block of Grand Street. And so I just go around the 100 block and pray by name. You guys, I'm telling you, it's amazing what happens. Like God opens doors, not to everybody, but it, 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 it's, it's the adventure to let God do the heavy lifting. So three months ago, a woman across the street, I'll call her Jane, single mom. Um, I'm going to my car, and we built a relationship, and she says, as I'm getting in my car, hey, Gary, will you pray for my son? That's an open door. I go, wow. Yes, her name's not Jane, but Jane, what, what can I pray for? Well, single moms have it so hard. I think they are the heroes of our community. And she says, um, I mean, they want to transfer my son because we just moved and yada, 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 but that's the most stable place for him. I'm like, well, let me pray right now. And I prayed for her right there in the street. And I said, okay, here's the deal. You got to tell me the answer to this prayer. Three days later, she goes, you won't believe it. I'm like, try me. <laughs> the school district made an exception. And, and she's like, thank you. I'm like, don't thank me. I didn't do anything. I just put you before the God who loves you. And that's just little by little, whittling away. And that's it. I just walked away. She walked away. Then four months later, we're at a Halloween party. Halloween. And I'm across the street, and in walks Jane with her boyfriend. And I'm in, this, in the uh, kitchen of our neighbor, and we're talking about our neighbor who are PCCers. They have completely redesigned and rebuilt their house because they have a vision for young life. It's a student ministry. And so they did a whole house rebuild so they can have the, the cool house that's, that's awesome for young life for kids. They basically built a youth group location, and they call it their house. And it's hard. They're, I mean, we're talking about that. Well, in walks Jane. She's like, Oh, Gary, oh my gosh. And, and to her, you know, to be truthful, she had had, a, a, you know, a, the elixir of truth had gone in her. And so she's like, um, you got to pray for my son. I'm like, tell me more. And she says, um, he's acting out. And then she's, you know, talking about that. I'm like, and finally, I'm like, I'm going for it. And I'm like, Jane, you got to get him in the youth group. You got to get him in the youth group. He needs uh, quality people around him. And then I go, how old is he? 13. She goes, where would I put him? I'm like, hey, Greg, aren't you creating a youth group? And Greg is talking to her right there about young life. And she goes, when does it meet? And uh, he says, tomorrow night, actually. <laughs> and she goes, he'll never go. And finally, I'm like, Jane, you're the mother. He'll go wherever you tell him to go. <laughs> and so um, she goes, okay. And they exchange information. And then three days later, I get an email from Greg. 
So you won't believe it. His name's not Jack, but he says, Jack came. We had, they had a pumpkin throwing contest off their roof. And he said, um, he said he loved it. He loved it. That's open door. And I just get to sit in the stands and watch God do all this work. Did I let him show up and show off? Where's God opening doors for you? Let me ask you this way. Where are you asking God to open doors for you? I would beeline it if you don't do this, please, as your pastor to person, beeline it for the information table. Uh, Grab these bless packets and then just pray. Ask God to put people on your heart. Lay them before the Lord and let him show up and show off and do the heavy lifting. The first thing that God encouraged them with was this. I have open doors that you aren't even uh, understanding or seeing. Second thing, he says this, I'll replace your earthly weakness with heavenly strength. Your earthly weakness with heavenly strength. Jesus said, look at this, verse 10, and how many of us can relate to this? I know you have little strength. Can anyone relate to that? I know circumstances have gotten a little out of control for you. I know you're wearing down. But look at this. Yet you kept my word. Circle that exclamation point. We'll get back to it. And you've not denied my name. Since you kept my command to endure patiently, I'll also keep you from the hour of trial that's coming on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. He says, I'm coming soon. And if you write in your Bibles, I actually encourage you to uh, put the word before the bold hold continually. Continually hold on to what you have. I'll be honest with you. It's easy to hold on to the word here in church. Uh, It's easy to hold on in a conference or a, a retreat. But when it's tough, it's the first thing we let go of. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I want to nourish you in a way that you, that you won't get nourishment in any other way. Continually hold on to what you have, the word of God, so no one can take your crown. Uh, I don't want to ask if you have this, but I've learned, because I, I know people in the room do, and it's awesome. I'm not, no shame of this, but have you heard of the uh, Roomba vacuum? Roomba, right? It's this disc that goes, and um, it, it, it does everything for you. It, it's got Wi-Fi, it knows where your walls are, and it'll just go off on its own as often as you tell it to, you can program it, and vacuum your whole house. It will make your bed, it will clean your windows, <laughs> give you a massage, no. But here's what's cool about the Roomba. It knows that that's hard work, and sometimes our Roomba gets discouraged because some of your houses are really dirty. <laughs> And when it's discouraged and low on energy, you know what it knows to do? It goes on strike, says no more work, I'm drained, and it finds its way to its docking station and backs into the docking station. And it says, I'm off duty, I'm getting charged. That's a great way to live. It's only, I know for me, I can't speak for you, in my prideful human existence, where I really believe at times I'm immortal. I think I can crash through margins and live uh, just a a recklessly paced life, keep plates spinning and and not come back time and time again. I'm holding my phone because I have my my, uh, Bible on my phone to my docking station. 
and dock up to get nourished. If you don't even know where to start in that, there's, a, there's an app called the U version. Uh, we actually put all the message notes on there. It's a free app. And they have like a thousand reading plans. You can even start with, they have a reading plan for discouraged followers of Jesus. And every day you'll get nourishment. During Advent, we're going to push out a docking type station for you where every day during Advent, we will focus you on Jesus amidst a cultural focus that's anything but Jesus around Christmas, right? Where do you go to dock up? Where do you get your nourishment? You can't live at the pace of life and advance in anything supernaturally without docking up on a regular basis. And can I just say this humbly and and, um, really no pointing fingers, but if your docking is just once a week, you're not gonna become the best version of yourself. This is so important, but this is all you get. This is intended to push you out and to feast all week long on God's word, okay? And to do it in small group is even better. Last thing I wanna tell you, I'll replace earthly weakness with heavenly strength. Here's the last thing. This is so good. I'm gonna replace your earthly reputation with a heavenly identity. How many of you have heard the term, you could be so earthly mind, uh, heavenly minded, you're no earthly good? Has anyone heard that? You know that's not in the Bible, right? As a matter of fact, the problem with most of us living in the 21st century, we're not heavenly minded enough. Jesus, throughout his walking, the earth continually pointed people to this coming kingdom, the kingdom of God, as if to say this life, it's your prelude. There's so much more beyond the grave. And compared to your 50, 70, 90 years here on earth, eternity compared to that, wow, why do you focus so much here when there's so much there? That's what he's saying. Look at this, verse nine. I'll make those who are the synagogue of Satan. This is not an anti-Semitic term. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. Uh, He is, there was hypocrites and people in the name of the synagogue that were uh, persecuting the Christians. So Jesus calls it like it is. The synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they're not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall at your feet and acknowledge. Now here comes what will never change for all of eternity. Take this to the bank. Acknowledge what? I have loved you. That disease does not mean I don't love you. Your sin that caused the uh, destruction relationally doesn't mean I don't love you. You will never, never, never outlive or run away from the the borders of my love because it's eternal. To the one who's victorious, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. That is a whole paradigm shift for them. This is a city that hated pillars because of the earthquakes and the pain it caused. And Jesus says, I will make you secure forever. Think of that. Never again will you leave it like you do constantly in Philadelphia. You'll never leave my city. You'll never need to. It's safe. I will write on you the name of my God in the name of the city of my God, in a city that changed names three times since the earthquake landed on Philadelphia, but was first Flavia and then Neo Caesarea, then became Philadelphia. Jesus says, "Ah, I've got a name for you that's eternal. It'll never change. 
which is coming in the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven, I'll also write my new name. Here's what he's doing. He's redefining life for them. How do you define life and what really matters? And when was the last time your experience a thousand years from now informed your today? Think about that. When was the last time what you'll be doing a thousand years from now motivated how you love, how you forgive, the character you live with, the integrity you live with, your work ethic? That's what Jesus is trying to do here. Jesus had a brother. You know that? He had brothers and sisters. And one of his brothers uh, wrote a book of the Bible. Did you know that? It's called James. His brother was called James. And the Bible kind of doesn't have names for the books that are like creative. It's James, okay? And so in the book of James, chapter four, he says this. He asks this question. Not up on the screen. Use your ears. Here we go. Free of charge. James 4.14. He says, what is your life? You're just a mist, he says, that appears for a little while and then vanishes. You go, well, gosh. I mean, I know for me, I've lived 54 years, one day at a time. It doesn't feel like a mist to me. James goes, oh, no, 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 no. Because you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. From God's perspective, that's your life. And then it's over. Let me just say that again. From God's perspective, birth, diapers, school, college, career, diapers, death. It's <laughs> closing prayer. No, I, I don't know what to say to us. Like, I need this reminder all the time because I put so much in here that I forget there's an eternity waiting for me. If you ever wonder what heaven's going to be like, I just encourage you, first two chapters of the Bible, last two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 20, 21. It'll give you a great perspective of what we'll do in heaven, how we'll relate to heaven, what our bodies will be like in heaven, all of that. We'll work in heaven. There'll be architecture in heaven, new earth. Think of this earth with no fires ever again, no droughts, no dead redwood trees. One of our redwood trees didn't make it through the last drought. And now we get, you know, green like we've never seen green. I can go on and on and on. The best part of heaven, though, is Jesus forever. Forever. And each other forever. New bodies. I'll have a full head of hair. I'll sing like Ian Pitter. <laughs> um, why do we spend so much time on that? That's what Jesus is saying to this church. I know it's hard. I know you're discouraged. But it'll soon be over. And then you get to really live. So I don't know what discourages you. I'm sure it's in one of these areas where you have closed doors, relationally or physically maybe, or uh, otherwise, career-wise. Or maybe you're lacking human strength. You just feel like, gosh, it's enough for me to get out of bed. Stephen's ministry would be a great answer to you, but the Word of God is your baseline diet. Um, or maybe you just needed to come here to get an eternal identity. And to be renewed to the fact that you are eternal. Everyone here is immortal. We will live forever. Uh, one where, one place or the other. Why not focus if we know Christ on heaven? Let's pray.
God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the truth of it. It's so rich. Pray for those of us who are discouraged. And God, I ask that you would meet us in that discouragement, right where we are. So I'm gonna have you self-identify by raising your hand and it's just raising your hand to Jesus, but just going, I need you in this area. Maybe you're feeling like, gosh, doors are closing all along. Jesus, this week, would you open some doors for me? Raise your hand, I wanna pray for you. I need open doors. Keep them up. God, you see our hands, whether they're the, uh, the hearts of our friends, family, hearts we've laid before you for decades. I've got people like that. Would you open doors? Help me see my place of employment. It's more than just a place to get money for your kingdom to advance. How many of you feel like, gosh, I'm just lacking strength? I'm so weak right now. I, I could use heavenly strength. Just raise your hands. Lord, you know. Thank you for bringing us together here. Strengthen us. Nourish us. Give us the strength to get into your word, to come to each other, to get to a Stephen's minister how many of you could use a renewal of your perspective beyond the grave so you have an eternal perspective not just the here and now God let us fix our eyes and fix our minds and fix our affections on things above not on earthly things meet us Lord this isn't just about us and you this is about us and each other and you Thank you for encouraging us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. All God's children said, like you mean it. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC.